for our region, we are assigned East Asia, and as you can see, there's many different objects on our slide. The coins on the bottom right represents the economic systems of East Asia. The red building represents cultural developments. The light bulb represents innovations. The building on the top left represents politics and governance. The landscape in the middle represents the environment, and the people on the top right represents the social interactions. For our region of East Asia, we decided to cover three societies within it. This included China, Japan, and the Mongols. And so we're going to start off with the S in Spice Tea, which is social interactions. So the first question is, how were the societies in your region organized? China. Although unconfirmed, China's first dynasty was said to be the Xia dynasty circa 2100 BC to 1600 BC. And China's final dynasty ended in 1911 with the Qing dynasty. And all the years in between, China had several different dynasties. And a dynasty is a succession of rulers from the same family. One member of the family, usually a man, would step up in the rule and rule the nation as the emperor. Then, after he passed away or stepped down, it would just go down the line to whoever was next in the family. Usually a son. Japan. In the 12th century, Japan had a feudal system. Feudalism is an arrangement between lords and vassals where lords gave favors in exchange for military service from vassals. Unlike the feudal system in Europe, the feudal system in Japan was much more on the personal affair rather than a contractual affair. The order of the social structure had the emperor at the top than the royal family. The emperor and the royal family were part of the royal class of the feudal system. Next was the noble class. The noble class included, and in this order, shoguns, daimyo, daimyos, samurais and ronins and lastly was the lower class the lower class was made up rough the lower class made up roughly 90 percent of the population of feudal japan this included the peasants artisans and merchants next we have the mongols one of the biggest leaders was able to unite and create an empire out of the mongols during those times his name was genghis khan genghis khan ended up conquering a huge amount of land from the sea of japan to the caspian sea his reign ended in 12 27 when he died from internal injuries. He had many, many followers and he had conquered more than twice as much land as any other person in history. Next, we have what rules, norms, and customs determine interactions between groups and individuals in this region? China. In the Sui Dynasty, 589 to 618 CE, the emperor claimed that there was too much similarity between what the peasants and the upper classes wore, and so he passed a law that said that peasants were only allowed to wear blue and black, whereas the upper classes could wear colors. Back then, a, a person's social class was mainly determined by birth. For example, if one's father was a peasant, they would be born as a peasant as well. Distinction between classes could be shown through hairstyle and other personal choices. People also became divided between upper class and peasant class by their capability of reading and writing. Mongols. The Mongols were nomads and didn't live together in towns. They traveled in small groups of two or three families and used camels, oxen, and carts to travel around. Their homes were called yurts and were portable, odd-looking, and very comfortable. Although they were nomads, they still had leaders of some sort. They had chieftains, and later on, they had khans. Later on, when united, they also had to follow the laws of Genghis Khan. These laws included the following. It was forbidden to ever make peace with a monarch, a prince, or people who haven't submitted. Every man who does not go to war must work for the empire without reward for a certain amount of time. No subject of the empire may take a Mongol for servant or slave. Every man, except in rare cases, must join the army, and many other laws along these lines. Japan. 
Women had freedom during Japan's feudal times, but not as much freedom as men. They had jobs as farm laborers, shopkeepers, or they even helped their husbands. The women that belonged in the lower classes had more freedom when in search of husband, while the women in the upper classes had to marry someone of the same class as them. There were also some women in the lower class who worked to be companions of samurais. They were known as geishas, and as described previously, Japan had a pretty organized social structure, which included many different layers. Next, moving on to the P. Politics and governance. How did governments rise, expand, and fall? China. Ancient China was mostly ruled through dynasties, but the Zhou dynasty collapsed slowly over time when feudal rulers of other provinces gained more and more authority. And eventually, these rulers of other provinces gained more power than that of the king, which then started a period of conflict known as the Warring States period. This was from 475 BCE to 221 BCE. The Qing then conquered its neighbors and was able to start the Qing dynasty. The Qing dynasty was the first time that all of China was united under one ruler. As the dynasties continued one after another, they eventually ended with the Qing dynasty. It fell in 1911 when they were overthrown by a revolution brewing since 1894. And um, these are not the same dynasties. Qing is like Q-I-N and Qing is Q-I-N-G dynasty. Just to clear that up. The Mongols. Genghis Khan was able to unite the Mongols by putting competent allies instead of relatives in key roles. Although he was an animist, he had followers of all different religions. By 1205, he had vanquished all of his rivals, even including one of his former best friends, Jamuka. The next year, he called a meeting of all the leaders in every part of that territory which he ruled, and he was able to establish a nation that was close in size to modern Mongolia. This was when he was really given the name Genghis Khan, which roughly translated to universal ruler. After uniting the Steppe tribes, Genghis Khan had leadership over around 1 million people. He then continued to conquer land and ended up conquering more than twice as much as anyone else in history, as said before. But Genghis Khan then passed away when he was crushed by his horse and sustained internal injuries. Genghis Khan's last descendant was deposed in 1920. Japan Feudalism in Japan started up in, eight, in 1185. The Bakufu, or the military government, was able to expand its influence over lands that were still controlled by the civil provincial government. Essentially, a military government replaced the civil government that was originally in place. And in this way, feudalism was spread throughout Japan. And feudalism then was brought to an end in 1603 CE. How did governments maintain order and exercise power? China. During the Han period, which took place 206 BC to 220 AD, centralized control was absolute. All power was derived from the central government, at least at the local level. The central government then exercised that power through a line of command that eventually led to the emperor. But later on in time, power was exercised and order was maintained through the social system. Japan. Governments were able to maintain order and exercise power through their feudal system. The feudal system in its different layers and levels of social class was able to maintain and keep things organized within Japan. The higher level of the higher levels of power were able to exercise power because the lower classes were bound to them through a personal kind of affair. Mongols during Genghis Khan's rule, he was able to maintain order and exercise power through a certain set of laws which were strongly enforced. He, he also was able to maintain order and exercise power through sheer force and intimidation. This can be seen through the way he led. He was willing to conquer anyone, even his former friend and allies. He even killed his older half-brother. His ambition was a big key factor when it came to maintaining power and staying on top of his empire. 
Next, moving on to I, interactions with the environment. How are the societies in your region shaped by the geography, natural resources, and the environment of this region? China. The settlers of ancient China settled around the Huanghe or the Yellow River. They used the river to fish, farm, and irrigate their land. The ch ancient Chinese people adapted to the environment by using other natural resources as well to help them live. This helped shape them and their um, their culture. They were able to use their resources to their advantage, and they created many, many new innovations that had never been seen before. An example of this is the invention of paper. They were able to create a new, cheaper, and more convenient alternative to silk and bamboo, and the concept was able to spread worldwide. They invented it in the early 2nd century CE, but there is evidence that it might have been founded earlier. And this is just one of many ways that they are able to shape their lives with their environment. Japan. Because Japan didn't have a whole lot of natural resources like other countries, they adapted and became more skilled in arts and crafts. This included pottery and crafting swords and armors and other things like that. And with these objects, they could trade for other resources that they lacked, such as wood, rice, etc. Some of the oldest pottery in the world can be found in Japan, as well as many other well-preserved historic pieces of art. The Mongols. The Mongols were nomads, so they really depended upon geography, natural resources, and environment. Also, because of their nomadic lifestyle, they were heavily dependent on livestock or animals. They also had to move their habitat several times a year in order to find water and grass for their herds. They rarely had extra food to help them through the colder days of the year, and they were extremely vulnerable to the natural elements. Because of the environment and lifestyle that they had, they had to adapt and make their houses portable so it would be easier for them to move from place to place. From place, to place. How did the societies in your region manipulate the environment to meet their needs? China. The Chinese are known to be extremely innovative and quick-thinking people. They've used the environment to their advantages and help, them, help aid them on multiple occasions. As mentioned before, one of these examples is the invention of paper. Another way that they manipulated their environment was by using the many, many rivers in their land to, to their advantage. They built their lives around those rivers and, helped, and it helped them thrive. Japan. Because Japan is an island, they've learned to use the oceans to their advantage. For example, because they live so close to marine life, they manipulated it to their advantage by fishing a lot more than other countries, as well as forming many trading relationships through the seas. Mongols. The Mongols made good use of their natural resources, and they used the metal to their advantage that they found in the land that they were they conquered by making things like weapons and armor. They had to refine these metals, and although it did benefit them. It took a really bad toll on the land. Now we're moving on to cultural developments in East Asia. The first question is, what ideas and beliefs shape the societies in your region? China. China believed in a god named Shangdi and the Mandate of Heaven. The Mandate of Heaven was used by the Shang Dynasty to, as a reason to overthrow the Jia Dynasty. It stated that once the dynasty lost the Mandate of Heaven, by committing things that were deemed as inappropriate, a new dynasty would overthrow them. Confucius was a philosopher responsible for creating Confucianism. Confucius states that the correct way to lead China would be to follow the examples of the past sage emperors. People would live with hierarchical behavior, and everyone would acknowledge their place. They had five important relationships to, the, to Confucianism. The five relationships were ruler to ruled, father to son, husband to wife, elder brother to younger brother, friend to friend, and... Filial piety was also seen very important to their culture, since there, since there was a very strict family hierarchy, and women were often seen as inferior to men. Along with Confucianism, China believed in Renanli, Renan propriety, 
and this meant that people needed to act according to the five relationships. Lee was ritual, which often meant to respect your elders. Poetry, the story of history, and paintings were seen as important. They would often be studied. Mongolia. The Mongols often believed in egalitarianism, and that's why women were nearly seen as equal to men. Many times they would help run society when men were out of battle. The Mongols were mainly shamanists, meaning that they believed in nature spirits, but they did not mind other religions. Trade diversity and tolerance were promoted along with death and destruction. Japan. Japan's main belief was Shinto. Shinto stated that plants, animals, and nature had divine power, and they believed that gods lurked all around them. These deities were known as kami. These deities were also looked after the Japanese people, and if they had been treated correctly, they would often look after them. So um, Japan would be caring for rituals, ritual temples in nature. How did they affect the way society saw themselves and other foreigners? Did they acquire beliefs from others or spread their, their stuff to other people? All the countries in East Asia had big influence in one another, and many of the religions first spread to China and then to other parts of Asia. For example, Buddhism had originally originated from India, but with time it spread to China. From there, it went to Korea and Japan. Um, Confucius beliefs also shaped family values throughout all of Asia, and it's currently very prominent in Asian cultures. In Confucianism, all the citizens see themselves in their respective place in the hierarchical scale. So the next part is economic systems in East Asia. How did the societies in your religion produce and exchange goods and services? East Asia had a very well-defined trading system. With the help of Silk Roads, which were, the, which were a network of trading routes all over Eurasia, trade became Asia's biggest opportunity to grow their economy. At the time, China was responsible for fueling the economy. They traded a variety of items, ranging from new innovations to agriculture and natural resources. China was well known for trading items like silk, iron, bronze, and at a point, silk even became a sign of wealth throughout Eurasia. Most of the items were produced at the homes of craftsmen and farmers, and it stayed that way until mid-Jiao dynasty, when large-scale manufacturing became more prevalent. Agriculture was also very important to many Asian countries, since it had a pretty, a pretty large market. They would produce and exchange crops like rice, cattle, and millet. Many of Japan's and China's citizens lived in farms, so this would come from them, and it occasionally would be exported. How did this production exchange affect society? The trading system helped out East Asia's countries prosper, since the Silk Road became a huge center of trade throughout Eurasia. The Silk Road brought in a lot of wealth and let many countries get different items that wouldn't otherwise be seen in their area. The Silk Road also let many religions spread throughout Asia, and China managed to bounce off ideas to its neighbors, along with new innovations. China would later continue to grow and trade the trade industry by starting large-scale production. A big effect that trade had on these countries was the rise of the middle class. Some people were able to rise in social economic rank by becoming merchants or artisans, which helped deal the, with the huge gap in wealth. The Mongols also rose to power due to the trading system, since the Mongols were very successful merchants. And now we're moving on to technology and innovations in East Asia. What innovations did the societies in East Asia create or advance? East Asia had many innovations for, the, for its time which were facilitated by the Silk Road and the trading system set in place. China was well known for all of its innovations, some of them being bases, steel, the wheelbarrow, the, and the, the seed drill, the crossbow, and the gunpowder. Paper would also be manufactured for, cheap, for a cheap price. The Mongols' innovations were mostly military-based, like producing hand grenades from Chinese gunpowder, the composite bow, and dried milk. Japan had innovations in many areas, though the majority of them were in the arts and weapon making. 
Japan was very successful for making spears and swords and found a way to create fire balloons. But they also had many innovations pertaining to the arts, some of those being inks and paints. What were the consequences of these innovations? The innovations created at the time had a big impact on these Asian countries. Many of these innovations helped aid in war, like gunpowder. Gunpowder was created to not only be used for fireworks, but later the Chinese found that it would be helpful in war. Not only did the Chinese use it, but later it was spread throughout Eurasia. The Mongols were able to get their hands on Chinese gunpowder, which was often used for hand grenades. This helped the Mongols have more weapons to use against China. Gunpowder also changed Chinese society. Once the emperors found the purpose of gunpowder, they began destroying castles with feudal lords, which led to them having a more centralized government. The innovations created in both Japan and China helped them keep off the, keep off the Mongols for a while. And it's a big reason why they held up for so long. At the same time, the innovations by the Mongols are the reason why they managed to conquer most of Asia. Their weapons and innovations in biological warfare helped them eventually conquer Asia.